Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the main event. Introducing Carissa Green Industries. Let's get ready to launch. Today, I talk with Scott Fletcher, a super experienced solutions architect. Other than a short hiatus where he held the lead application security specialist role at Australia Post, he's been with his current company, Red Shield slash Aura, since 2011. We covered a lot of ground, particularly on typical workflow for the modern enterprise. We discussed how executives can ensure they maintain oversight throughout the project lifecycle and how to ensure that the right security elements are baked in with minimal friction. Thank you so much, Scott, for joining us. How are you doing today? Yeah, really good, thanks. Can you tell us more about your security journey up until now and what you do? Yeah, thanks, Carissa. Uh, yeah, so i was always been interested in IT. I, I always kind of had a natural knack for computers and uh, I ended up um, just out of sheer luck living with someone that uh, actually ran their own software company. So. At about 16, I kind of found a, a passion for writing computer software. I started out in BB6, which is, you know, well and truly out of date now, um, but kind of progressed since there. So, yeah, I've been in software since I was 16, which is what now 15 years ago, um, <clears throat> and it kind of kind of progressed from there. I uh, uh, worked in a various uh, leading tech companies, um, both in uh, in Palmerston North, which is a uh, uh, you're all going to have to get out your maps uh, and realize that it's about an hour and a half north of Wellington. It's about it's a, it's a pretty small town. I ended up moving to Wellington, working for a couple of government agencies and then uh, even a company called uh, Commercial Fisheries Services or FishServe. Um, they were kind of like a leading tech company providing computer software to uh, the fishing industry, both domestically within New Zealand and also globally. Uh, so <clears throat> that was uh, kind of my software developer journey. In my early 20s, um, a company called Aura, which is now New Zealand's largest IT security mm-hmm. company, kind of headhunted me. We worked on a, on a project together, and at the end of the project, they stole me from FishServe. Uh, oh. And I've been working for them uh, pretty much ever since. I did take a, a minor break um, after moving to Australia, so I basically was principal consultant for them in New Zealand and also uh, in Melbourne. I took a minor couple of years off uh, to go and work as a contractor at Oz Post. Um, Ozpost had an acquisition called SecurePay, which is a payment gateway providing mm-hmm. um, uh, online card not present payment processing for about 200, 250,000 um, merchants in Australia, small and medium businesses, even some larger enterprises um, <clears throat> in Australia. So yeah, look, they had a need for an application security engineer. Uh, so I thought it'd be nice to go from the offensive side to the defensive side. It always mm-hmm. been on the, uh, you know, break break the app and then kind of <laughs> how busted it is and walk away um, without actually really appreciating what it was like um, living those issues day in, day out and actually helping people resolve their problems. Uh, and now, um, after leaving Oz Post about a year and a half ago, I'm now working for Red Shield, so as a solutions architect and security researcher. Okay, cool. That's definitely an extensive extensive journey, especially starting at, at 16. So you've obviously got a, a lot of, of knowledge. And I know that you have visibility across a lot of organizations. What trends do you see that people are starting to do right? And where can they improve? Yeah, look, I guess the, the first bit, it always starts with the people. If people don't see the need for security, um, you're going to have a really hard time trying to adopt that uh, or kind of promote that within your business. 
Um, so security awareness training, um, and I'm talking about end user security awareness training, you know, we're mm-hmm. talking about, you know, how not to end up being fished, how not to have malware on your computer. It actually starts the process um, for people thinking about how to do things in a secure way and actually questioning things. We're quite, as humans, we're quite innately trusting, you know, we think, oh, I'm going to win a million dollars by clicking on this link. Oh, someone's going to give me a million dollars. Well, reality tells us now after, you know, <laughs> multitude of, you know, Nigerian uh, email scams, that's not the case. So mm. kind of people to be question, to question their thinking um, is certainly a good start. Um, but what actually that, that results in is a general population uplift uh, as far as security awareness goes. You see that um, people are now starting to be security focused and they've then taken that to their business. You know, it's gone from, oh, well, it's never happened to me. So it's not an issue to, oh, I know someone that's been fished or hacked or had their identity stolen or had some fraudulent transactions on their credit card going, oh, well, it actually is a real problem. And then, therefore, that is going to then be a problem for my business or the business that I work for. And so how can we actually um, improve to, so that we don't become a victim? Um, I guess beyond that, uh, things are now actually, there's, there's a strong focus on security validation. So we see you know, businesses are having things pen tested, uh, projects include a pen test at the end of the project, you know, just before it's going to go live. So it, there, at some point, someone has thought security is at some point uh, an important piece of the puzzle. Um, and so therefore, it's kind of included at some point in the process. And what are your thoughts on a secure by design or, you know, obviously there's different variations to it and embedding, uh, I guess, security at every stage gate. Because, I mean, I've, I've worked in a large a large bank before and that was something we were trying to implement. But again, you know, working on the, the business side of it and the, and the development side, people felt a little bit like they were being policed a lot by security. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's true. A lot of people, if you're not interested in it, uh, you're not going to be engaged. And I, I guess that's true for anything, right? So, you know, of course. Uh, I, ha- I have no interest in doing my taxes, so I pay someone to do it. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Unfortunately, with security, you can't just simply pay a security team to make all the security problems go away because the people is an important part um, of the ecosystem. I guess that is one area where uh, where people can certainly improve is actually embracing the full ecosystem and the full security ecosystem. So Secure by Design is certainly one piece of that. Um, you've got uh, all of the other bits that go with that as well. Um, but I guess the way I, I, I use the analogy is like security is like a car. You can't simply say, oh, cool, I'm going to buy a car and I'm going to keep it on day one. And then, you know, in five years time without any servicing, without any maintenance, no new tires, uh, taking it to the mechanic, you know, that things are, <laughs> that things are still going to be running smoothly. Well, that they're not. Um, and the security ecosystem is the same, right? You know, it's, you can't just do something once. There are things you have to do on a regular basis. You have to repeat. You have staff come and go. You would bring in new vendors. Systems change. New code gets released. You know, new CVEs get found every day. So you can't simply say, oh, doing it once um, is enough. So embracing the full Mm -hmm. ecosystem and understanding that uh, you actually do have to spend uh, ongoing (laughs) amounts of money uh, to actually ensure the security of basically your business or your organization is is a key crucial factor. Um, I would also say maybe having the execs uh, aware of the security implications and the costs, right? Mm-hmm. Because the thing is that the, they go, oh, well, secure it to, you know, have it pen tested, to have a consultant at the get-go, um, to do the secure by design, to do your developer training, to do your third-party vendor assessments, uh, to mm-hmm. implement a, a, a cloud application firewall or some network firewalls and managed security services costs money. So they go, oh, well, we can skimp on these things um, because, you know, we don't really see it being a risk or, 
you know, the the, um, the risk assessment that's been done doesn't really match, um, mm. you know, for, for the return on investment for the cost. But what um, what businesses should be really concerned about is that, you know, the global tolerance for breaches is at an all-time low. And, you know, now we have things like GDPR and mandatory data breach reporting, you know, boards and execs really need to be asking those hard questions. Not, not simply just saying, oh, it's not happened to us or, you know, we've had the security vendor for or the software developer for 10 years, you know, they, nothing's happened yet, so everything should be all good. Um, mm. You really should trust no supplier <laughs> until they've basically proven that their systems have been tested and that they passed. Um, I guess that kind of also feeds into selecting the right partner for the project. You know, um, you generally find that companies that charge more have, uh, you know, invested in the, the people and the processes They've got those. Um, uh, they've got all the bits that they need, so they actually deliver a secure project. But that obviously comes at a cost. That stuff that they've developed, intellectual property, um, you know, technologies that they've paid for, services that they consume, which obviously all cost. Um, and so therefore, those costs then passed on to you as as the uh, as the consumer. Uh, so once again, the right partner for the right project is is a key bit there as well. No, no, you're absolutely right. And I think, you know, a few things that you've touched on, What the common, I guess, denominator that I'm seeing is more of a behavioral way of thinking. And I think, what are you, what are you seeing from an adoption point of view in the market that's helping? Yeah, so certainly uh, the adoption of managed services is a, is a key bit. The understanding here that, you know, if, if I'm a business, um, you know, maybe I'm, a, maybe I'm a dentist, right? I'm a dentist. I'm good at fixing teeth. I'm good at, you know, veneers and, and teeth whitening. That's great. But I'm not a security business. So I know that I should probably go or I'm not a software business. I should probably not write my own software uh, to manage my patient records. I'm going go to I'm gonna go to the market and I'm going to go and purchase something from someone else. It's the understanding that it is better for me uh, and my business that if I should go to experts, just like I wouldn't probably try and fix my own teeth. Um, which is which is probably the first bit. So the adoption yeah. of cloud uh, and the adoption of managed security services is one. Things like um, platform as a service. So you know, back in the day, you know, people used to run their own mail servers. Some people still do, and I do question as to why. Um, run their own database servers, and you go, oh, this is you know, patching upgrades. You know, how do you deal with downtime and cutover and all of those bits, um, <clears throat> as well as managing the security aspects. You know, if there was a new new patch coming out tomorrow for, you know, SQL Server and it's critical, you've mm-hmm. got to apply it. Well, is your business okay with having downtime? Um, platform as a service. So, you know, Amazon RDS is, is a prime example where you've said, hey, I'm going to give this service, I'm going to consume it from, from Amazon. They're going to do the patching. They're going to do the upgrades. They're going to do it with no downtime uh, and life's good. Mm-hmm. Um, so pushing pushing the responsibility of the, the security components to a third party, especially a trusted third party is one. Um, mm-hmm. Other other things as well, the, the adoption of AI and machine learning. So mm-hmm. there, there, I, I should qualify that with there are some things I think AI is really good for and some things that, uh, and we certainly see it in our industry as well around, the, around WAF uh, and automated blocking and detection of attacks. Um, I think machine learning is something that we'll get to, but we're not quite there today, but certainly around uh, antivirus, threat intel feeds, things that can be really well classified. Um, machine learning is great for, especially cloud machine learning. So, you know, if you go to, um, you know, if you look at Silence, for example, as an endpoint protection solution, well, actually it's using those signatures and stowing all the machine learning and all the number crunching in the cloud. Uh, and you're getting the advantage of uh, the fact that Silence provides endpoint protection for a range of businesses across a range of geographic locations. So those types of things are certainly helping. 
What do you, so you talk about AI and machine learning. Now I know that, you know, there's obviously people talking about like false positives built around these types of things. What's your perspective on that? Like obviously that'll become mature as things progress, but at the moment people are saying that, you know, we, we're implementing all these things, but there's a lot of false positives. What type of advice would you have around that at the, at the current stage and then looking into the future? Well, look, I guess from false positive perspective, a false positive, uh, you're, you're essentially blocking legitimate use, right? Which mm-hmm. Arguably, yeah, it's business disruption. It's not, it's not great, but I would be yeah. more worried about the false negatives. So the things that mm-hmm. aren't being picked up uh, or the things that machine learning actually isn't good for at all. So I'll give you a really good example. I work for a WAF, Cloud WAF um, company, mm-hmm. and we quite often get asked, well, you know, we've got this other vendor out in the market and we've evaluated them and they say that this machine learning, you're getting zero false positives and zero false negatives. We're mm-hmm. going to block the attacks. Um, the answer is, uh, regardless whether it's uh, machine learning or a non-machine learning algorithm at the end, uh, the answer is a yes or a no. Am I going to allow this or am I going to block this? You know, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter how fancy the algorithm is and whether AI is involved in there or not. It's mm-hmm. simply going to say yes or a no. A lot of the right. things we see um, with issues that people come to us for are things where the answer isn't a yes or a no. So, for example, and I might get a little bit techy here, so <laughs> please excuse me. No, please go on. For, for example, you've got uh, a session token with not enough entropy. So that is it's predictable, the result being that someone could potentially uh, identify other users' sessions, gain access to their data, potentially gain access as an administrator to a system. Well, in the AI machine learning world, it probably wouldn't detect it. But if it could, it, the answer mm. would be, do I allow this um, session token or do I block this session token? Well, if you block the session token, the app isn't going to work for anybody. Um, and it's basically going to say you're never logged in. So the answer in that situation is actually transformational piece mm-hmm. where you actually have to transform the request so that to the end user, it's not exploitable, that it has enough entropy, but to the application that it is no longer vulnerable. Uh, sorry, uh, to the application that it is the original session token that it understands. So uh, I guess that's probably how I would, would argue that the false negatives are the ones where the AI machine learning can't can't identify or can't fix are the ones that you really should be worried about. Those are typically authentication, authorization, business logic related bugs. And that's where I kind of said before where AI and machine learning will get there eventually. Yes, yes, uh, yes, yes, yes. Means we can go and do more exciting things than uh, fixing applications, uh, fixing application vulnerabilities in, in WAF technologies. But at the moment, yeah, that's kind of where we're at. And just lastly, on the false negative side of thing, uh, is it a fair assumption to say that executives should be focusing more on that side of things? So if they are talking to vendors and stuff like that, doing a bit of a vendor analysis, they should be focusing on that and 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 not as much on the false positive sides of things. Based on what you've just said, is that is that correct? Yeah, typically what we see is uh, people going, "Oh, well, you know." They're focusing in the wrong area. So we see people saying, oh, you know, bots are the biggest problem. You know, there are lots of big vendors out there, and I won't name them, but that say, you know, bots are your biggest problem. Um, If you stop the bots, or as we like to call them, ghosts, then your problems go away. So, but realistically, there's there's a paradigm shift here. We would say that you're better to find and fix all your issues. So it doesn't actually matter if a bot's having a go at your application. There's ways and means of, of uh, defending yourself against those problems versus in the other case where it says, well, actually, you know, you don't really need to find and fix all your issues. We're just going to stop the bad actors from exploiting those issues. So it's, it's a paradigm shift, but I would certainly say that mm-hmm. uh, if you're an executive, finding and fixing the issues that are there, um, which is, you know, no different than you would do for any other any bug in your application. If you find a bug in your application, you fix it and you fix it in a timely manner. 
um, mm-hmm. we would say that, that that is the better approach. Uh, got you, got you. No, okay, that makes that makes perfect sense because I think definitely everyone, well, not everyone, sorry, a lot of people do focus on the false positive, but I, I'm glad that you gave a lot more clarity and, and more of an in-depth response on that, so I appreciate that. But obviously, as a solution architect, you see various approaches throughout projects and implementations. Where do people fall down? Yeah, so look, I'll give you a little bit of an example. So uh, when I left the consulting business, Aura, uh, and was hired at OzPost, like I say, there was there was a, a lot of work um, that needed to be done. Um, unfortunately, right, so the, <laughs> the key bit here is we walked into a situation on day one where we knew there were lots of issues. We didn't know where the issues were. Um, it's like, well, how, how, do you, how do you go from what your current state to, you know, your ideal target state? Um, when there are so many unknowns. And I guess this is the same for pretty much any project. Um, I would say that over planning is probably the, the biggest issue, you know, uh, which kind of Can goes you define over planning. What does over planning look like? <laughs> yeah. Well, if, if you look at security, right, security isn't, a, isn't it just a project and it's not just a product. So mm-hmm. I mean, w- what I mean by that is, you know, turning around and saying, Oh, we have a million dollars for this um, or turning around saying it has to be done by this date. Um, and this is the exact scope of the thing we're going to deliver. What I'm saying is you still need to consider these things, um, but planning it down to the nth point to say, okay, here's exactly what's going to happen at every point. When you actually don't know what's going to happen in a month's time, you might find something else. You know, it was kind of like a ball of ball of string. You kind of put a little bit and a little bit more comes and a little bit more and more and more and more. And then you go, well, we went from having, you know, we looked at the ball of string on the table and it looked like it was maybe five meters long. Um, but when we actually pulled it out, it was 150 meters long. You know what I mean? So right, trying to plan it, plan it all at the beginning before you start um, is setting yourself up for failure. <clears throat> I would certainly also say that um, it's, it's a horses for courses thing, right? So you typically find <laughs> uh, choosing a vendor solely on price uh, or choosing one vendor for all things um, is going to set yourself up for failure as well. Uh, there are large companies out there that sell, you know, endpoint protection, WAFs, network firewalls, kind of, and they say, oh, we've got all this suite of 200 products, you know. Um, If if we've been and spoken to some of these, some of the customers that have brought these, um, you know, full application network um, hardware suites from from these large corporates, um, which are multinational, they're they're big, they've got big names behind them. Um, And you actually ask them, say, "Okay, okay, can you tell us what they do and they go, we're not really sure. You say, well, when was the last time that you looked at these? Oh, not really sure either. Um, where are the logs going? How do they work? Um, Sorry, can I just interrupt there? What I mean, when you say they're not really sure, what does that exactly mean? That no one's really auditing or governing this? Is that is that correct? Uh, more, more to the sense that they've gone along and they said, okay, we're going to buy from this really, really big company that has this large suite of products <laughs> and we're just going to implement it all and we should be done without actually right, understanding what, 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 it, what it is that they do. Right, um, got you. Efficacy is also another, another issue, right? So, um, you know, we would typically say that if you're going to, um, if, you, if you want, a, you know, a firewall product, go and look at the market, evaluate what it is that you need it to do, um, both today and also in, a, in, you know, for a future state and buy that. Then look at endpoint. Don't simply say, oh, <laughs> there's a company out there that does both. So we'll just buy both of those solutions from one company. <laughs> Um, so more of a due diligence you know, type of thing. 
Correct. Well, you look at um, a lot of new, especially in the security space, a lot of the security startups, um, mm-hmm. you know, they, they pick one thing and do it really, really well rather than saying, oh, we're just a big company that has all of these different things and you can buy it all from one place. Um, so certainly picking the best vendor um, and, you know, you, you could use Gartner as a, as a, uh, a guiding stick. I wouldn't say that, um, you know, for example, the company I work for actually isn't listed in Gartner, um, but all the technologies in which we do that we use actually do. So don't simply rely on, on things like Gartner, although it, it is a good starting point, um, but certainly going out to market and actually evaluating, trialing these things as well in real life is, um, you know, and how they work for your business um, or your organization is, is something that I would certainly recommend. Um, beyond that though, I guess more than if you were essentially looking at the third party external view, looking internally as well. So uh, when we walked into SecurePay, we were all contractors um, and uh, there, there were a lot of staff there at the time that had, had been there for a long time. Um, and change, change is something, managing change is uh, an area which uh, a lot of businesses don't do well. But in the security space, it's something that you have to essentially adopt and embrace right from the get-go. You know, the way that you're doing something today might not be the way that you're going to do it next week. And in reality, you probably should always be striving for a better way of doing things, a more altered way, automated, repeatable way of doing things that sure. doesn't rely on a human being there uh, all the time. But unfortunately, that does um, uh, kind of incite a little bit of uh, concern um, <laughs> with a lot of people that work in an organization because it's yep, like, oh, sure. my God, I've, got to, I've got to learn something new. I've been doing it this way for 20 years. It's been okay for today, but or up until now, but, oh, this is, this is concerning. It's, it's a new way of working. You know, a prime example is taking a business from a waterfall approach to an agile approach to a dev mm. DevOps to a DevSecOps approach where, you know, you've now got automated CI/CD pipelines. Well, you know, that's where you really need to be to actually address the problem. If you have a vulnerability in your software code that you need to actually remediate it in a, in a really short space of time, the waterfall approach and even the agile approach in most, most situations isn't going to work, but trying to get your entire development team from A to B <laughs> actually takes a lot of uh, organizational change. So um, finding really good leaders to encourage uh, and a really good example, I'm going to give Tom Walker, um, who I worked with is actually head of platforms. Uh, at SecurePay is one of the contractors I worked with, was really good at this. Uh, and I've, I, I, I absolutely stands out as a prime example of how um, leading with enthusiasm and encouragement um, uh, and also with really good technical skills to actually, you know, show, hey, guys, this is actually how easy it is to do now rather than saying you've got to do it because we must, you know. So yes, um, got you. Have, ha- having the right leadership um, is, is key as well. I think that's still an immature area at the moment because of having having both foot a foot in each of those camps. But what I'd like to ask you, lastly, if you were to give a piece of advice looking to roll out a new project, what do you see as the most valuable bang for buck steps that people can take? Oh, that's a tricky one. <laughs> so I, I guess the first bit is do your research. You know, so we talked about uh, the project piece before. Um, I would certainly say, and I've just given a prime example of having good leadership, um, but not just good leadership, finding the right people with the right skills and experience. Um, that's everything from you know, project managers through developers, testers, infrastructure people, even third parties. I'd also say here, uh, you know, being fairly young at 31 myself and have started this journey quite early on, is younger can certainly be an advantage here. Um, I wouldn't simply say I'm going to go with a company that's been around for 40 years. You know, it, you actually, if you go with the younger, a younger demographic, you can find that a they've got 
relevant skills for today. They, they're up to date with the latest tech frameworks, um, development methodologies. They're also really eager to learn new things. Mm-hmm. Um, and they'll actually put in a lot of effort over and above someone that's potentially been there for 30 years. It's done it a particular way the whole time and isn't really, it's probably a little bit more stuck in the way that they that they operate. <laughs> I know that I'm being very generalist here, but I would certainly say, um, <laughs> I know. Um, so that this is one of the things I'd say. Also, where internal staff unavailable, lean on third parties, but also test their skills as well. Um, you know, if you're going to go into a development company and, uh, you know, say, oh, look, we want you to build us a, a piece of software or a system, uh, you know, actually get the developers in or get a third party in to test the developers of their knowledge on things like OWASP, their, their secure development methodologies, how they would build things, you know, some example code or, you know, a um, even if it was like a, an, a letter of attestation from a third party pen testing company for another solution they built that says, hey, we tested this these, this company's software and we found no issues. Um, or we found some and they fixed them straight away and they're, they're, there are no remaining issues. Those are the types of things I would say um, upfront is something that, that you can help with. <clears throat> Uh, that can certainly, you know, take a lot of the, the guesswork out later on. Uh, probably the other couple of things that we see, you know, I've been, in, I speak to customers uh, day in, day out, where they've got applications, software systems that are vulnerable. They've had pen tests, uh, they've been built either recently or they're, they're old. Um, and I, I typically ask them, say, well, why haven't you got them fixed? And I hear a range of answers, but the thing that really stands out for me is that they never really, really articulated their security requirements in any contracts. So who's responsible, how secure must it be to what standard mm. does it need to be built? Um, there are really good reference material out there for us. So like OWASP has the ASVS, which is the application security verification standard, which pretty much lists out what an application must do to be secure. You know, how it should be tested, things like that must be tested, must pass in the, um, a security review following OWASP testing guidelines, um, when it must be done, how often it must be done, um, uh, who's responsible for fixing it, how quickly they must be fixing it. All of those things really should reside in contracts, but I, I just don't see it happening. I'd also say planning up for, for future requirements, um, you know, everything from, you know, how you're going to be patching your infrastructure to patching your code to patching code libraries, um, might, might need some virtual patching requirements, things like, um, you know, how are you going to respond to incidents, um, you know, disaster recovery, business continuity planning. The key bit here is uh, if you are waiting to the last minute or you, you're having to uh, respond to something without having planned for an advance, it's going to cost you a fortune. You know, it's, mm. you know, prime, prime example, if you're ringing up a, a big four accounting company and say, hey, we need a post-incident analysis or some digital forensics on a system because we've been compromised. Um, and we're not even sure if the breach is still occurring. You know, look, th- those costs are going to be astronomical. So I would certainly say planning for those things that you really should be doing to ensure that your your business is secure um, before it happens is is probably the, the last bit uh, as far as new projects go. No, no, that, I think that's perfect. But one last thing I'd like to get your advice on is you spoke earlier about younger companies. How do you think younger companies can provide assurance to potentially their clients? So you obviously said companies been out there for 30 years. Do people feel more comfortable, more safe? Admittedly, I uh, understood what you were saying around the companies have, you know, the younger companies have this velocity and this agility to, to solve those problems. But what can younger companies sort of pitch or present or provide assurance for, for people to trust them and kind of forget about how many years they've been around, but they've got the capability to be able to de- deliver against the, the company's requirements. Yeah, so in the same way that, 
uh, in the security business. You know, you, you gain credibility from speaking at conferences, uh, research, uh, being involved in the community is a certainly and certainly something that um, younger organisations and younger businesses are really keen on. The, the social aspect of, uh, you know, being in the industry is is quite important. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'd certainly say that's probably one of the, the key things that they should leverage. You know, there's there's a lot of time you go out and you, <laughs> it's, it's the way that, you know, we uh, we sell here in Australia as well is it's go out and actually get to know the person, get to know what it is they do and actually um, understand them before actually deciding to do business with them. So uh, that, that's probably one of the key bits. Um, the research part is really important as well. A lot of um, younger companies too, or uh, developers in younger companies, we have them here at Redshield, they'll actually contribute to GitHub and open source projects as well. So if you're a company looking to purchase um, software services, you can actually almost go, you can go and have a look at the code that they produce uh, for some of these, um, you know, common open source things like Apache, Nginx and all of those as well, where mm-hmm. uh, traditionally companies that have been around for a long, for a longer period of time typically say, oh, well, that intellectual property is ours. We don't give our developers time to go and work on open source projects and those types of things as well. We actually, they're gaining a lot of experience because you're looking at code um, from a range of developers with a range of skills mm-hmm. and a range of areas. So yeah, there's, there's lots of things. I would, once again, I, I wouldn't um, dismiss a company that's been around for 40 years and say, oh, you're just, you're a bit ar- ar- archaic. Um, I would turn around and say, well, look, once again, it's who can best do the job for me. And I wouldn't even specifically base it on price. I would say, here's what I'm trying to achieve. Okay. And I would sit them both down in a room and say, well, okay, you take me through um, what it is that you think we need to be doing to make this, make this a success, both from a functional perspective and also from a security perspective. And if you're a business, I'll, I'll give you this advice as well. If you're a business out there that potentially is going, well, I don't know anything about security, but I know I need this new system. You know, you talked about it earlier, the, the secure does it by design piece where you might actually say, well, we want a virtual security officer to come in from a, a reputable security company, actually validate what they're saying and give some recommendations. That's also a, a really valuable, a really valuable thing that you can do to, to essentially qualify which, which company you'll eventually purchase services from. Awesome. I'm super impressed by what you've said. I think you've given the listeners a, a very deep level of understanding, especially from your, your level of experience as well. So I really, really appreciate the time you've taken today, Scott. But lastly, how can people reach out to you if they're, if they're interested in having a chat with you? Yeah. So uh, I guess the easiest way uh, is via our website. So our website is redshield, all is one word, .co. So that's .co.com. Uh, if you go to redshield.com, it's going to say home security systems. Unfortunately, that isn't us. Um, <laughs> <Right>. So, yes, <laughs> we're a cloud firewall company. But, yes, yeah, so if you go to our website, there's uh, phone numbers. There's also a contact us form, uh, which I get uh, get those emails as well. You, emails basically go to about six uh, solution architects uh, here at Redshield. Um, otherwise, you can give me a call. Um, I'm sure Carissa could put my my number in the in the meeting notes <laughs> awesome well thank you so much scott we really really appreciate it and i hope we can chat again soon perfect thanks carissa thanks again for joining us i hope you got some insights from this episode of kb cast with me kb don't forget to subscribe on itunes stitcher or google play to get every new episode as it's released And as always, show notes are available from kbcast.com for every single episode. We're building a community, so always love to get feedback, ideas, or questions on hello at kbcast.com. 